Hi, my name is Dan, and in this world, I'm a lot of things. A father, a son, a brother, a talk radio host. But one thing that I'm definitely not is a Star Trek fan. However, my brother Joey... That's me. He is a Star Trek fan, but only the original series. Live long and prosper. He believes that if I sat down and watched the original series, that maybe, just maybe, I could become a fan too. There's such great writing. How could you not? So for the next 79 episodes of this podcast, that's what I'll be doing. Watching every episode of the original series and coming here to discuss it after each one. So join me each week as I go through all 79 original Star Trek episodes. This is Attempting Trek. And welcome to another edition to Attempting Trek. My name is Dan. I am the one who is attempting Trek by trying to watch all 79 episodes of the original series to possibly, potentially become a Star Trek fan. And with me, as always, is superfan Joey. Joey, uh, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. Okay. <laughs> All right. I don't know why we're so excited. Well, actually, I guess I know why because you're you're a super fan, and we're talking about Star Trek. That must be the the source of the enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is that right? Super fantastic. Right. Yes, that is correct. Right. I'm really pumped. I'm sorry I asked. Now, before we get started, I just want to remind yeah. everybody that I have a point system where. I'm sorry. What is the? I have to reach a hundred thousand in order to become a Star Trek fan. That's it's what I've the said. Point system, yeah. yeah it's, that's the bar you set for yourself. That's a rough bar because we're we're a few episodes in. The one yep. that we're talking about today is this episode six. Correct. All right, so we're talking about episode six. I'm only up to ninety five points, so we're not exactly making a lot of headway so far. But no. But there's a long way to go. Is what, that's how I feel. I feel like there's a long way to go, and there's going to be an episode. There's going to be an episode that's going to have like I don't know a thirty thousand point jump in it. I hope. I feel I it. Hope. I feel it coming. Anyway, okay. well, before we get started on this one, let me just yep. check in with you. Is there anything new about the show in general that that you need to share? Well, one thing in particular that I've come up in, you know, with my research for the podcast mm -hmm. is um, I've seen this in multiple places now that the uh, once Jeffrey Hunter turned down the role of uh, of the starship captain. Yes. Um, after the cage was uh, was reviewed and they decided they wanted to go with another with another um, pilot. They um, so they started, you know, figuring. They made a short list of the people that they wanted to cast, you know, for the show, and the role of Captain Kirk, mm -hmm. which, by the way, was on a list of it was like I think it was twentieth on a list of twenty names, and ultimately he went with Captain Kirk. Um, one of the names I think was Robert April, Captain April, which I thought sounded kind of interesting. Mm. You like that name? No, that's a terrible name, Captain April. Okay, that's uh, yeah. what is. What is it? that? Sounds like the guy. Is he like the calendar superhero or something? Captain April. Maybe so. No, maybe terrible. so. But early, but early in the calendar, right? Yeah, April is a lady's <laughs> name. That's what I'm going to tell you when I hear April. Because right. then everybody right. would be calling him April. They wouldn't be calling him. You know, nobody calls Captain Kirk James a lot. Well, that's true. For the most that's part, true. he's either Captain or he's Captain Kirk or he's Kirk. But here it's be. Hey, what's going on, April? Eh, you think so? Huh? Yeah, it doesn't work. All right. 
Well, regardless, on this list of people that they wanted to uh, cast for the show yeah. was a guy that you've heard of. Okay, lay it on me. A guy named Jack Lord. Oh, no kidding! From yes. Hawaii Five-O. Correct. Very interesting. So they, him, they actually offered him the role. And he said no? He said, I would do it, but I want $9,500 per episode plus Whoa. 50% share of profits. Who is Jack Lord in 1966 that he can make these demands? Well, I think it was 65. Well, okay, but, but still, nonetheless, Nonetheless, well, who was he, he then? He had, he had done something that, you know, had caught some people's attention. What was? What, do you know what that was? I'm gonna have to look it up. Okay. Well, I, I, I will tell you this: he's in Doctor No. He's in the first James that Bond movie, and he is yeah. Felix Leiter, who is the CIA counterpart to James Bond, and is played by a different actor in just about every single James Bond movie. So there's really not a great amount of continuity with that character. But I will say, in Doctor No, mm-hmm. uh, Lord does come across really cool. And you kind of feel like okay. maybe we could see more of this character. It's probably the only yes. time you've ever thought that about the character of Felix Leiter uh, for anybody who pays attention to Bond movies. But nonetheless, but man, man, coming across with big demands, Jack Lord. Holy cow. Well, he had done some other things, too, but that's the big one. Mm. You, know, you know, from like 1960 um, up until Dr. No, he was very much in demand, or at least he had done a lot of things. He had. A lot of guest starring kind of stuff in all of the westerns, you know, in Rawhide, something called Stagecoast West, Outlaws, uh, Route 66, Naked City. So he was definitely uh, building something. He also was the lead in a TV show called Stony Burke, B-U-R-K-E, mm-hmm. that um, lasted 32 episodes, which I don't know. But I guess back then is maybe a season and That's, a half, something I, like that, right? I, I don't know. That sounds like it might be a season. For the 60s. okay, yeah, but that's at the same time that he that that Doctor No comes out, yeah. So um, he you know so then after that he's still working. He's uh, appears in an episode of Doctor Kill There. He appears in something called The Greatest Show on Earth. Huh. Uh, something called The Reporter. So he's, this is all TV stuff. So TV he's bouncing series, around on television movies. a lot. That's really yeah. interesting. I love the fact that wagon train. That's a really good little piece of information there. That not only it was yeah. offered to somebody like that, who you could totally see taking that role, but they he, yeah. he comes back with, with exorbitant demands. Yes, that's impressive. Yes. It was almost twice Whatever. what their budget called for. <laughs> um, and then the fifty, you know, so it's ninety five hundred dollars per episode plus fifty percent share of the profit. That's nuts. That's the part that's really nuts. Right. Right, and that's to do the second pilot. Now, the second pilot, just to remind you, and maybe to re-clarify in case we didn't do it so well the first time, the second pilot was more about, um, we kind of like the concept of Star Trek after watching The Cage, but we want to see more action. We want to change a few of the characters, get rid of that woman that's in charge of a lot of stuff called uh, Number One. We don't like the the Spock character. and uh, we also, so if you fix those things, we also just want to know, can you do a show within a budget, within a deadline? So there was a, it was more like you kind of have it, but you've got to prove these other aspects of it. That's why it's not exactly a second pilot. It is, but it isn't. Yeah. 
right? Right. So like NBC says, we'll give you X amount of money towards the, the production of this second pilot. You're going to have to find someone else that would give you the rest of the money. And then after that, this is your deadline. Come in and let's see what happens. If we like it, then we go. So what they did was they, they, they put together, a, you know, I think three different um, um, telecasts, productions, and said, listen, you know, pick one of these three. And, you know, they picked, you know, where, where No Man Has Gone Before, which you and I both really liked. Yes. Um, but Jack Lord said, no, I want, you know, I'll be happy to do it, but this, <laughs> these are my demands. That's really and hilarious to me. That's really So they moved on, and they came in with Shatner, who was another guy that was similarly on the rise as Jack Lord, who had done a bunch of things in, you know, in, in recent years. And um, so they negotiated with him. He wound, he wound up uh, getting a contract for $5,000 an episode, so a little bit more than – slightly more than half of what Jack Lord pushed for. <laughs> and I don't remember the percent of profit sharing, but it, was, it may have been also half. It may have been 25. It may have been a third share of the profit. So that's what, that's what happened in um, deciding, in coming to the decision of who was going to play the role of Captain Kirk. Well, that, that makes it a very easy decision, I think. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So before we get beginning here on this episode that we're going over, Joey, what is the episode we're going over? We're going through Mud's Women. All right. And uh, whenever Joey has some very pertinent information that you want to uh, interrupt me with, uh, what sound will you be playing? I think it's going to sound just like this. Okay. Sounds like the communicator. How yep. how appropriate. Yes. All right. We'll be trying to communicate new information or mm-hmm. insightful information. All right. So before we start, Joey, give me a little statistical information on Mud's Women. Sure. So um, this particular episode aired October 13th, 1966. Okay. It uh, was the third show that was actually produced um, and it didn't air until, um, well, it was the sixth episode to air. So there's going yeah. to be some things in these early days that are going to seem a little out of place to a guy like you. Um, I think, you know, you may, this may come up in our conversation tonight where you'll explain to me, you know, yeah, it just seems like Spock's a little bit different or something. I don't know if you will or not, but there's definitely a different feeling from, from, from this compared to say the naked time. Um, where the characters may not seem like they're so developed, and yet it comes out after the naked time where they're more developed. And the reason for that is that this is earlier in the production run. Oh, that's interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, this this particular episode was actually produced, uh, was written or offered as a premise by Gene Roddenberry in um, in 1964 when they were pitching it to NBC when they came up with the whole idea. It was um, they offered three different plots to NBC. And um, so he came up with this idea, um, and originally his plot was uh, it included five women and five minors, but there was no Harry Mudd. NBC turned it down because they thought, you know, it was way too racy, hookers in space didn't really go over so well. What's wrong with space hookers? Come on, NBC, lighten up. Right, 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 right. And NBC said, you know what, let's just go with that cage idea. So then they watch the cage, and they're like, "Okay, fine. Let's. This is, I think you have something here. Let's see what. You know, now, now, give me something else." And so he 
tried again with this with this plot, which had not been thoroughly uh, written out. And um, although it came up in consideration, the same kind of concerns killed that for NBC. And uh, finally, after Where No Man Has Gone Before aired, uh, was, was, uh, was screened for the second pilot, and it was a success, now all of a sudden, boom, NBC didn't wait. They said, okay, you're in, we like it, let's get going. And there was a schedule, and they needed shows fast. So immediately, Star Trek was under the gun. They had to stick to the schedule. They, uh, they had to produce shows within six and a half days, and they would be held to pay if they went over budget, if they went into overtime. Each show had to be done Friday at 6.18 p.m. You go one minute over, and it was a ton of overtime, and it was going to be a problem. Some people didn't return from uh, episodes that they would produce later. Some directors and writers didn't return because they added to the delay that oh. would make them go over budget. Well, sure. So, so anyway, um, this episode, I think I said already, it airs. It winds up finally airing October 13, 1966. They choose this one to go third. Uh, well, no, they produce it third, and they choose it to air sixth. So at this point, you've seen five episodes of Star Trek. Yep. Um, and the ratings for this, just like we're going to discover, and I'm getting this information, by the way, I should credit this uh, appropriately. It's from These Are the Voyages, Volume 1, written by Mark Cushman, an unbelievable author and researcher of the TV series. And um, he's the one that um, did a whole lot of cross-referencing of, of the Nielsen ratings and stuff like that, where he actually found out what the true ratings were for Star Trek back then, which were not known until he produced his book, which was published, you know, like three, four, five years ago, something like that. Oh, that's crazy. And what he found was yeah. this show aired from 8.30 to 9.30, um, and it was first in its slot from 8.30 to 9, this particular one, this particular episode of Mud's Women, and it was tied for first um, from 9 to 9.30 p.m. And it was also first in both of those half-hour slots when the rerun ran May 4th, 1967, which is six months later. Okay, now, So this episode rated quite well. I'm going to ask you a question that you may not know the answer to. When it yeah. was tied for first, do you know what it was tied with? Yes. So they both came in with a share of 31.5%. It was on uh, Star Trek, of course, being on NBC, CBS, airing something called the Thursday Night Movie, and it was... A 1963 war film called The Victors. Are you familiar with that? No, I, I do not know this movie. That's really that is really interesting. And I'll, starring oh. George Hamilton and George Papard. <laughs> well, that this is why you, I haven't heard of it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Come on. Like, if it's a movie that stars George Hamilton and it's not Love at First Bite or Zorro the Gay Blade, you probably don't know it. That's that's these are just facts, people. These are just facts. All right. That yes. was good stuff. I'll tell you somebody gets a thirty one share now, they throw them a parade. Yeah. That's amazing, a thirty one share. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? That is so, I mean, so different. Forget Star Trek for a minute. How about a show like Bewitched coming in with 30.6%. Yeah. I don't know. That's just what happened back then. That's just how it worked. Yeah. You had three networks, or you had nothing. You had nothing. Now you get like a, a six, and it's a big deal. All right, so let's let's get into this episode, by the way. Let's let's start doing it. Let's break it down. Let's do it. 
So as we start off in with Mud's women, we're already into some form of action, some form of yep. what Star Trek would consider action, because we're pursuing yes. another ship. And the way that we're going to show this is just we're just going to see another ship on a, on the big TV screen that everybody's watching on the bridge all the time. But that's yeah. fine. Everybody, and by the way, everybody is on the bridge, is what I noticed. Like Scotty is on the bridge. Like people that I don't normally see hanging out on the bridge, they're all just sort of there. Because I guess you don't get to see a lot of uh, spaceship chases. So did everybody go up to see that? I don't know. Probably not, right? Yeah. And also what I noticed, Uhura, gold dress. Did you notice that she was not... not I forgot about that. They're still figuring it out. Yeah, Yeah. she is not in the red dress that we're always seeing her in. She's in a gold one. You know, the same color that, that Kirk's shirt is. So okay. that really stood out. I was like, oh, look at that. She looks different for once. So anyway. Okay. She sure does. And her sleeves are too short. Um, I don't know if I, I picked up on that, but okay. So Apparently that was a problem when oh. they would wash those shirts. I think they were made out of velour. <laughs> I'm sure they And when they would wash people. them, they would shrink. <laughs> so, like, if you think about, like, uh, mm-hmm. Sulu looks like the sleeves are too short on him. His wrists are coming out. And the same thing with um, Gary Lockwood. In where no man has gone before. Do you remember? Yeah. I mean, it's really it looks really obvious on him that the shirts that the sleeves are too short. Oh no, I not, didn't even think about it. If you go to our Facebook page, fans, you will see photos of him with his sleeves too short. Facebook.com/slash attempting trek. Okay, Indeed. nice, nice, nice way to throw that little plug in there. All right, so that, that we're chasing this ship. And yep. this ship has decided to head into an asteroid field, which doesn't seem to be a good idea. And the ships, they're monitoring it, right? Everybody on the bridge is paying attention. They already know. Well, the ship's engines are going to go out on this. And that that's exactly what happens. And now it's just kind of drifting into the asteroid belt. And now we have our our first big decision of the episode. Do we go ahead and try to save this ship by putting some sort of deflector shields around it, but if we do that, it's going to really drain the energy that the ship has. It's going to drain a lot of power, and Scotty advises against it. Captain, if we try, we'll overload our own engines. He's too far away. But Kirk is doing things his own way, and he decides, I'm going to save whoever's on board, and it doesn't take very long for the Enterprise to get overloaded uh, having a, a big power problem, like very quickly right. in starting to protect the ship. And first, uh, there's some power that goes out, and as I find out, it's a lithium crystal that is gone, and then another one is gone. And from here, we're going to move down to the transporter room, but do you have anything you want to say about the bridge scene here? I love the bridge scene, especially before the uh, the theme song starts because of all of the different angles. I don't know if you caught all the different angles, but there's so many different camera shots that you're not going to see, you know, in future episodes. It's to me, it's just like really look at that, look at that close up, look at you know, Clerk, uh, Captain Kirk, you know, from sort of like uh, you know beneath the, you know, the, the command chair, you know, um, just the different angles of all of the people that are working on the bridge. You see a shot of Sulu from like the side of the helmsman next or the navigator next to him mm-hmm. um it's all really just neat stuff um and you like i said it's it's to me it's sort of rare it's a lot of different camera cuts um now i will tell you 
Yeah. That, that that was not necessarily a good thing. It was a good thing for the viewers, but it was not good for production. And uh, in fact, it led to this episode um, running uh, late and uh, over budget. And as a result, the uh, I believe the director did not return. Ouch. Okay. Well, this is probably yeah. why we end up with whatever standard camera angles that they go with uh, going forward. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Probably so. You know the close-up shot that they have of um, of the of the of the red alert. Yes. Remember that. Yes. Like, okay. Yeah. I think that they use that particular shot. I, I think that winds up being canned, and that they use it over and over throughout the life of the show. Oh well, yeah. You might. Have, that's an easy thing to do. Yeah, that's an insert. Sure. Yeah. Why not? It looks like that. Right. Yep. All right. So let's move on because now we're going to go yep. down to the transporter room because we've we've gotten our first person from the ship and we've transported him in. And it is some big, goofy-looking pirate who shows up. Yeah. What in the hell is going on with this? This is one of these wacky Star Trek moments. One thing that keeps yep. happening on this show is things are often funny. That's what I always notice. <laughs> like, something happens, and I'm like, okay, this is so hilarious. Look at this yeah. guy. Right, yeah. he's got a pirate hat on and a big giant belt buckle and an earring and a <laughs> large handlebar mustache. It's like, yes, what? yes, okay. This is not what I was expecting. He identifies himself as Leo Walsh. The name, gentlemen, is Walsh, Captain Leo Walsh. And immediately, immediately, I am convinced this guy is some kind of a snake oil salesman. Like, yeah, yeah. he just gives off that vibe as soon as he starts talking. All right, whatever he's saying, he's a liar and a con artist. You just right. you just know it from the jump, right? Yes. Uh, yes, they do nothing to um, distract you from that idea that something's yeah. wrong with him. Yes, yeah, yeah. They, they, it's very obvious for, right from the beginning right. that yeah, that guy is is not legit. So he's not a good guy. No, that he's not a good guy. Yes, right, 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 right. Now it takes them a while to beam aboard the rest of the crew. The other ship gets destroyed by the asteroids, and some of the crystals are going out. So there's power issues. But eventually, the rest of his seemingly crew shows up, and what? It's a bunch of hotties. Three, <laughs> three go-go dancing broads show up. What is going on here? And not only do they show up, but the crew, which is Scotty and McCoy is down there, and I forget who else might be down there. I think Spock is probably there. All of a sudden, it's like, whoa, they're all stunned and entranced by these women. Amen to that, Scotty. Yes. It, and you know what's funny about that, too, is... Uh, <laughs> The way they appear, they look like they were posing before they got beamed aboard, right? Absolutely, yes, yes. Right, so they look like they were like they were stopped in the middle of their walk down the catwalk, right? <laughs> yes. When really they were like on a ship that was being destroyed. Yes, you're correct. Right. right, so there they are just all posing seductively, looking perfect in their evening gowns. Yes. You know, which makes no sense at all. No, no sense whatsoever. <laughs> right. Uh, we, right. We find out that, that Kirk wants to speak to the captain of the other ship. Meanwhile, Dr. McCoy seems to be in love. Seems to be <laughs> like McCoy is the one who is most absolutely taken. You know, And 
Then, once we leave the transporter room, there is a quick shot that's so funny. And it's a crewman who's going up a ladder. And then he stops and looks down the hallway as the women go by. Well, of course. Yeah, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. What's going on here? So, now, here's something that that really speaks to, because I wrote this down. Right. Okay. That speaks to what you were saying about uh, the production order and the the growth okay, of the characters. And this is where they're in the elevator with Spock, and Leo says to the ladies that Spock is basically immune to their charms if he you know unless he decides that he wants to you know not be immune to them. But that's that's because right. he's a a Vulcanite, I believe. No, no a Vul- no, close. a Vulcanian. Yes. A Vulcanian, that's what he says. Yeah. Ah, yes, you're a Vulcanian. And then he goes ahead and he, he does like this explanation of Spock to the ladies, but it also feels like he's doing an explanation of Spock to the audience as well. You're part Vulcanian, aren't you? Hmm. Ah, well then, a pretty face doesn't affect you at all, does it? Uh, that is, not unless you want it to. You can save it, girls. This type can turn himself off from any emotion. Wait, yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is, this is one of two times that they're going to say Vulcanian. And in this case, I don't know if it's because it's Leo Walsh and his sort of street-talky, you know, jive, jive-ish style of way of, you know, communicating, if he's saying Vulcanian, or if the show hasn't figured out that a Vulcan is just a Vulcan. Yeah. You know, versus Vulcanian. It's hard to know that in my research. I haven't figured that out yet. I'm sort of inclined to say that's Leo Walsh just, you know, talking in Leo Walsh style. But what's your opinion? Um, okay, I'm I'm willing to go with that. Or maybe wherever Leo Walsh is from, that's what they refer to Vulcans as. Maybe they're called Vulcanian, and that's just a um, it's a, a dialect difference. That's how they would refer to somebody from Vulcan. I don't know. Another thing that was different in this episode, you brought it up already, was the fact that they're having problems with the lithium crystals. Yes, the lithium crystals, okay. yes. Okay, which they also brought up in the second pilot where no man has gone before. They said the same thing about lithium crystals. But but that's it. After that, everything, every time that they refer to those crystals, mm-hmm. they're going to be called dilithium crystals. Oh, dilithium, okay. Dilithiums, yes. So this is definitely, you know, part of those early days where they're okay. still figuring stuff out, and um, they decide that di it needs to be in front of lithium. <laughs> so, anyways, it does stand out because you know lithium is a drug that we sort of all know about or have heard about, you know, in today's world. Wait a minute, don't, don't we have lithium batteries though? So there's something. Oh in yeah, of yeah. course we do. You're right. Yeah, that's right. right. Someone just de- to- maybe someone decided that dilithium sound is it sounds more futury. Actually, there's some sort of science behind that that I could not explain it to you. Oh, please and I don't. I can tell you, I just can't, right. But I can tell you that Gene Roddenberry would go to, um, he would talk with uh, oh, people from NASA. He yes. would talk to scientists and try to, you know, do his best to learn about the proper terminology of things. And I believe that his conversations uh, with those people led to the change of from lithium to dilithium. Okay. I can't can't say that for a fact, but I believe that that's that's out there. All right. This is way too much minutia for for this right. moment. All right. Yep. So, Kirk meets the women 
And when he does, romantic music swells. It's kind of a wonderful little moment there. And here's where we find out that uh, that the ladies, that Leo's women, are not his crew, but they are, in fact, his cargo. Beautiful. I love that you picked up on that. Oh, yeah. That's that's a significant difference. That's, yes. I, so he's delivering women is what he's doing. He's, right. he's in the women delivering system, which I believe would make him a pimp, but I'm not entirely sure. Yes. Maybe he's yes. he may be the the very first space pimp that we've ever seen on television. I think that's what we could now, say. Yes. Yeah, so there's a lot of controversy about this. There are a bunch of other podcasts that I listen to. Oh, really? Where they talked about this. Oh. oh, sure. Oh, sure. Very interesting stuff. And there are some people that say that you know, obviously, this is way out of line. It's not cool. It's sex trafficking and stuff like that. There are other people that say, well, wait a minute. What's the difference between you know, uh, mail order brides where they're making these choices, you know, to, to, you know, to live their life this way as opposed to being forced into something. So I don't know where that line is exactly. I'm just telling you that these mm-hmm. are the conversations I'm, I'm hearing. All right. But I will say uh-huh. that there's a point there where they're in the lift and Eve says that he's just so used to buying and selling people. So it does seem like, She's not entirely happy with the situation. Oh yeah, Eve was definitely not entirely happy with the situation throughout this entire episode. So sure, yeah. But the women seem She's to be the willi- one that shows the most conflict. She, the women seem to be willingly going along. I guess we don't really yeah. know how it is that he comes uh, to have them. Uh, I, right. I, I don't really look at him like a space pimp, and I don't really look at them like they're prostitutes because he's looking to sell them as wives. At least that's right. that's what we find out. So I, I would sure. not go ahead and really put him in the pimp category. Um, right. Maybe more along the line of the male order. Bro- yeah, he's a broker. Yeah, which boy, that makes <laughs> that sure makes it sound nice, right? <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go with that. All right, right. Uh, and, and Spock, by the way, gives Kirk a really funny look as yes, the ladies it's leave. A great look. Yeah, like what's going on here, man? Let's see what you think about this. <laughs> yes. How you, how you going to handle this one, Captain? He's got like a funny oh, grin. Yeah. It's not very Spockish, uh, unless I'm, I'm missing something here. It seemed a little... I think in this case it is. Like they, I've, I've talked about when he smiles in the past, and mm-hmm. I don't like it. Like It seems like it's weird, but yeah. this seems like it's his uh, arrogant sort of nature. Like, well, let's see how this human's going to handle this situation, because I know how you how all you humans are responding to this, and I find it amusing. You know, it just I looks like that. that way to me, and I love it. Oh, I'll, anytime there's some sort of Spock humor, it's great. Anytime that he gets, a little, he gets a little flavor, it's it really oh, yeah. does come across as great because he's so stoic the rest of the time. Yes. Right. So and, Kirk- you know, now he's becoming the breakout star, and you see why. Mm-hmm. Kirk, at this point, he he informs Leo, hey, I'm bringing you up on some charges for how it is that you're running your ship. I don't think you're doing uh, the right thing and uh, whatever his whatever his issues are. Now, here's where we get a little private moment after Kirk leaves and Leo's talking to the ladies and he says, listen, you know, we're going to we got a little, little situation coming up here. Do me a favor. Don't lie. And also... Try not to get a medical exam is one of the things that he wants to convey. <laughs> yes. Don't let them examine you. 
Now, here's our first little bit of uh, actual truth coming in when someone refers to him as Harry. Uh, no, no, no. No, no. I'm, I'm sorry, ladies. Uh, my name is uh, Leo. Leo Walsh. Please, please, ladies. Yeah, Harry. We already know, Harry. The the jig's already up, man, because we're not... Yeah. None of us are believing you from <laughs> at any point. So even Kirk, even the people in the show aren't believing. Certainly the audience is it, but even the people in in it, right? No yeah. one trusts this guy. No, nobody does. Yes. Now we go back to the bridge, and we see the ship is now having a problem running now on, I believe, only one crystal. We got one crystal left, and so this is our our new problem. But the good news is, Joe, there's a mining colony over on Rigel Twelve where they can get some more. It's it's only two days away. Right. Right. But just before that happens, mm-hmm. there's that big moment where Kirk is very confrontational with him where he says, I'm bringing you up on charges. Yes. And he says to him flat out, you're a liar. You're a hard-nosed one, Captain. And you're a liar, Mr. Walsh. You recall that? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. He actually says, you know, you're a liar, which is one of those moments again from Kirk to somebody else where he's blunt, he's powerful, he's strong. And he's also by the book, mm. well, right? So yes. he's being like the old, he's being the, the consummate, you know, captain. I think, right? Yes, yes. He he definitely has a number of uh, really good moments in this one. I think. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So there is the mining colony. They're going to head on over there to get some crystals. They're about two days away. They should be able to make it. All right. So we're okay. Let's let's now move on to the hearing against. Leo Walsh and this is a stellar scene this is a great scene man because well, you love scenes when they're in that room I do I love the scenes yeah. in this room this is yeah. every episode so far I'm pretty sure has had a scene in this room this room keeps popping up but this, like it. but this one is even better because there's the future lie detector in there oh yes all right, give me some some space technology, and I am going to be fascinated. And here <laughs> it looks like, uh, well, it looks like an old word processor that just has a a sound wave that goes across it. That's the visual that you get with the sound wave. And what we get, <laughs> this scene's hilarious because Harry Mudd, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Leo Walsh is just lying the entire time and getting busted every time by the detector. Yes. Yes. And I, so this is interesting to know. I don't, I'm not sure if you picked this up, but the voice is actually Majel Barrett. Oh, no kidding. No, I would have never known that. Not only that. Incorrect. So, yes. Right. She's just killing him the whole way, right? Yeah. So, so of course, you know, she was the person that the actress that played the role of number one in the cage. And she was one of the casualties that, you know, Roddenberry had to absorb for you know, going forward in Star Trek. The executives didn't like her. They didn't like her in that role. They thought that a woman that would be that high of a level would be too much for the audience to handle, um, and they would object to that sort of thing. So she was essentially fired you know, going forward. So she was crushed by that. She was very upset about the whole thing. So he kept, you know, he was kept trying to figure out ways to get her back in. And even though we've already seen her on the air, particularly in the naked time when she shows up as... Dr. McCoy's assistant and confesses that she has the crush on Spock. Yes. She actually, this is an episode that's before all of that where 
she has no role in Star Trek. He finds a way to get her in. This is how he gets her in. She's the she is the voice of the ship's computer, huh. and I believe going forward she will continue to be the voice of the ship's computer. That's that's pretty good. That's a good one. I like that. Yes. Yes. All right, so now we're having this hearing, and we're going to ask Leo Wall some questions, and he's going to... That's hilarious. He's going to just... Maybe one of the worst performances at a lie detector of all time. I mean... It's got to be. It's got to be. It's, I mean, he's just getting nailed on everything. We find out his name is not Leo Walsh. It's it's actually, in fact, Harry Mudd or Harcourt's blah, blah, Mudd. Take your name for the record. Leo Francis Walsh. Incorrect. But we're just... It's Harcourt Fenton Mud, and you may not remember it now, but trust me, you will remember it in the future. Oh, okay. Fair yep. enough. Yep. Uh, so we're just going to call him Harry Mud to make it a little bit quicker. Uh, yep. He explains that, listen, Leo Walsh was, in fact, the pilot of, of the ship I was on, but he died, and so I oh. had to assume... His name, so that's why I was using that name. I mean, come on. Yep. Anybody could do this. I mean, just sounding more and more ridiculous. They come up with his criminal record, which oh, looks yeah. it looks like is uh, his driver's license. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he's wearing the same outfit in the picture that he's wearing ah, on the episode. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's got the same shirt on. It's as though, hey, you know, he was going on set that day, and they said, hang on a second, yes. we need a photo. Hold on, there we go. <laughs> Yes, I think you're exactly right. <laughs> and I did freeze frame so I could read all of the things that it said on there. Good, 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 good. But you know what? The lie detector, the computer, it went ahead and it Covered read it. everything that was on there anyway. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So then Kirk goes ahead and starts listing all of these charges he has against them. And while I don't know what they are off the top of my head, they sounded funny to me. It was, you know. It's smuggling, sentence suspended. Transport of stolen goods, purchase of space vessel with counterfeit currency, mm-hmm. sentences, psychiatric treatment, effectiveness disputed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, let me ask you this, though. Do you know what the, the charges that Kirk reads against him in the hearing? Um, I don't know the exact wording of it, but okay. it's operating the ship without a license or That's, something. That, or is the, the correct... that was the last one, yes. But there was yes. something there was something that involved the word galaxy that sounded funny to me. I, I can't I can't remember what all of the he had a number of charges, this little laundry list of things that he thought that he had it's done. It's a purchase of space vessel with counterfeit currency. <laughs> They're all kind of amusing but the yeah. last but the last one is basically he's flying a spaceship without a license oh here it is you are charged with galaxy travel without a flight plan galaxy travel that's the word yes so galaxy without will always sound an funny. identification beam <laughs> oh yeah yes and by the way this wording is specifically mm-hmm. brought in by Roddenberry so Roddenberry you know he started the he started the the premise you know, he wrote the sort of like the the foundation, the, the the skeleton of the episode, and then he handed it off to Stephen Candell, who fixed it up, brought in Harry Mudd, which actually, you know, obviously changes the way you look at the show. And but this part is definitely Roddenberry. He talks about the identification beam and galaxy travel and so on and so forth. Okay. Oh, yep. and failure to answer a yeah. starship's signal. Oh, okay. Another charge. Oh, yeah. Okay, really that, bad stuff. That's a lot of bad stuff. All right, so 
this is also where we learn where Mud goes ahead and explains what he's up to. That he's taking these women to some planet to be wives to some settlers somewhere. This is this is what's going on. He explains this. And we also learn wonderfully that the computer uh knows that the women well, they're they're all fine, they're all regular. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, all of the men <laughs> I think all of the men are a little hot and bothered. I think all of... But you know what, Captain? I want, you should know that all of your crew members are horny right now. Unusual reading on male board members. Detecting high respiration patterns. Perspiration rates up. Heartbeat rapid. Blood pressure higher than normal. That's, <laughs> that's what it, it tells you. that Their pulses are, are quickening and they're starting to sweat. It's just... So hilarious, and what I love is how does Kirk respond to this? Um, strike that from the record. <laughs> yes. So of course you notice at this point. Yeah. You're starting to notice that they're doing the close-ups of the women with mm-hmm. the soft focus, right? Yes, the soft focus. I did have that noted. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So a little bit of background on that is a uh, the cinematographer is a guy named Jerry Finnerman. And he was kind of under orders to be as um, colorful and creative as he could, because NBC was uh, was 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 announcing they were uh, promoting the fact that they were the only network that produced every show in color, and color was new, right? Oh. I mean, I think 1965. I, I'm not sure if it's 65 or 66. It's sort of like the color barrier. Yeah, where, right. right? Yes. Right? Okay, and so when so Star Trek has the good fortune of jumping on on board, if you will, when color is available for you know TV TV sets, hmm. and so Bob Justman, who's one of the uh, the people behind Star Trek that made Star Trek really work, he's the one that says we need color, color, color. Jerry Finneman, I want you to be creative, come up with some great ideas. The more color you can bring in, the better. Do whatever ideas you have. I'm going to love them. Run wild. He's the one that comes up with these soft focuses of the women that we're going to see that run throughout the life of the show and, you know, for many, many years, for decades, I think, and maybe even till, well, maybe not today, but you, you see a lot of soft focus when you're looking at particularly females that are supposed to be come across as attractive. Is oh, that fair to say? Yeah, but you know what's funny? I, I, that's funny that you... You're telling me that that's something that happened throughout the life of the show. It seemed uh-huh. a, in the in the uh, in comparison to the other episodes that I've seen, the soft uh-huh. focus seemed to be a little bit softer. It seemed to be a little bit one. more to you know give you that that dreamy look that they all had. Well, remember, this is, this is the third show that they've produced. Mm-hmm. This is the first time that they're really doing it. This is this guy has been given the charge to do it this way. So you're telling so me, anything you, else you've seen mm-hmm. comes after most likely. Okay. All right. So let's move on. One of the yep. women. This is where one of the women, and it's it's Eve, as we'll find out. Uh, she speaks up and she says that look, she wants to go to the planet. She wants to go and have this done. Yeah. Right. So in case anybody is thinking that Mr. Mud is forcing them into it, it's like look, you, what you're actually doing is you're interfering in. In our potential, in what our objective is, what our goal is to go to this planet, to be wise for these settlers, to go live this life. And I'm just trying to help people. Yeah. That's right. it. What's wrong with that? So, yeah. Meanwhile, 
On the other hand, Kirk has decided that Mud is to be handed over to some authorities as soon as he can find some authorities to hand him over to. He's not interested. But here's where our new problem is going to come in, Joey, because the last crystal goes. Oh. Yeah, that's that's a big problem. And so Kirk is talking about this. Oh, all right, so we've got this this crystal problem. Well, you know, we're heading to this mining hell, whatever it is that they're saying. And Mud is overhearing this and has, or has very quickly has figured out how he can use this situation to his advantage and um, man- manipulate things. Yeah, he is a fast thinker. That's right. He knows that they need crystals from these miners, and he already has a plan. And now you're the guy yeah. that came up with uh, the observation, I think in at least two of the episodes we've done so far, mm-hmm. where Star Trek tends to bring in, here's the main problem, and here's something else that complicates it, where, yeah. bring, where it creates more urgency, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And in fact, there mm-hmm. is, again, we're going to get a timetable. Uh, yep. The, the, and I, when it happened, I immediately was like, oh, here, here's the clock. The clock, the clock, uh, the stopwatch. I don't know, the timer. Start the timer, because yeah. here it is. Yeah. We're going to get the timer yeah. later on. All right, so. And you love this stuff. Uh, I do, but I don't know if I want it every episode. <laughs> right. Well, that's good to point out, yeah. because there's going to be some things like that. Right. Yeah. How many times can you go back to the same well? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, sure. And and when that's I fair. thought that, I'm thinking, all right, six episodes in, and the clock is starting again, huh? All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first right, time yep. it happened, it was cool. And I think right. this is the, the third time that it's happening in six episodes, but okay. So anyway. We yep. do. We now have a scene where one of the women, and I never get her name. She's the dark-haired lady. She goes and she visits Ruth. McCoy. What's your name? Ruth. Okay, Ruth. That's not such a great name. That's not a great name for a super attractive, dreamy lady. Ruth. She's the one that seems to have more of that special effect than anybody else. Mm. And in fact, it also looks to me like yeah. they use the same shot on her over and over again. Oh yeah, yeah. With, with the close-up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right about that. All right, so Ruth goes and she visits McCoy, and while she's kind of just sort of slinking around and trying to get some information out of him, she stands in front of a medical scanner, which starts to beep in a specific way, and McCoy, who, while he is entranced by Ruth being there, he's also wondering, you know, Wait a minute. What the hell? What's going on here? You know, I'm in, I'm impressed that he's able to not just solely focus on his attraction to her, but also is wondering, wait a minute, what's going on here? There's something off here because you're making this thing go off. He asks, are you, like, wearing something radioactive? <laughs> Which is, what a question <laughs> to ask, by the way. I know, right? <laughs> she says, no, I'm just me. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. It's just sort of funny that, you know, these women, to me, are able to, once again, roam free throughout the entire ship. Absolutely true. Yeah, they do. They just right? kind of wander wherever they want. That's true. Yeah, they should be held somewhere. They should be confined in some area, but no. Right. Uh, wow. Kirk goes to his A perfect example of this is that Kirk goes oh, yeah. to his personal quarters, and <laughs> Eve is in there just lying on the bed. What the hell? Yeah. What's going on here? Kirk should be annoyed at whoever's supposed to be taking care of this sort of thing. Where is security on this ship, damn it? I was just going to say, like, shouldn't he just normally have security outside his door anyway? Yes, I would think so. 
I would think right? he should have somebody there at all times. Yep. Yeah. And uh, here we get this we get this scene where where she's chatting it up with him and yep. she starts to come on to him and she's yep. just about to kiss him and then she stops and she she breaks the act. And she's like, I can't go through with this. And then, you know, she leaves. She's the conscience of the four people, right? Yeah. The three women and Harry. Yes, yes. Right? Yeah. She's the one that's going to tell us, you know, both sides of it, I think. And now we're we're back with Mud, and he's got uh, Ruth, and the other one, Magda, I believe is her name. And they're all talking, and the other women have gotten... A certain amount of intel about what's going on with the ship, about who the miners are. We now know that there's three miners, and what do you know? Mud has three women, so this is just sort of a perfect situation. And this is when Eve comes in. She's unhappy. She's not feeling well, and she says, "It it must be near the time." So, and here we go. Yeah, here we go. Time to get revealed. Yeah. Cause, cause, and now we're finding out that while these women – and this has been talked about on the show. Mm-hmm. While these women are certainly attractive, they shouldn't be driving the men this wild. They I'm... talked about this on the show, right? Yeah. Right? So it's like, yes, we know they're hot. But, geez, are they really that hot? Like could any woman be that hot that like nobody can even do their jobs? These are very highly trained you know, people, right? You know, these are professionals at the highest levels in, you know, this, in the academy, right? In 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 Star in Starfleet, right? Mm-hmm. And yet they're being distracted by these women who, yes, they're flirtatious, but it's not like they haven't seen flirtatious women before, or they haven't had girlfriends before, or they're not married or have wives, or whatever. But yet they're completely blown away, yes. as if they've never seen women ever. Yeah. Are, in fact, they're all acting like Charlie X. <laughs> That's correct. Yes, they are all behaving like Charlie Eggs. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yes. And that yes. that is just about the next scene where McCoy is having that conversation with Kirk. And McCoy right. is McCoy, I give him credit for knowing that something is up. He doesn't he can't put right. his finger on it, but he knows that like there's something else that's going on here and I don't know what it is. I think actually more lovely pound for pound, measurement for measurement than any other women you've known. And it's funny, because if he had asked me, I would have told him, well, in my Star Trek experience, if you come across some attractive women, they're not really attractive women. They're either really an old lady, or they're really an alien. Yes, exactly. (laughs) There's something else. Whatever it is, it's not real. There's no... Right. There's no abnormally attractive women There's Vina in the cage? Yes. Wow, this I hadn't book. thought about that. Yeah, so for you, you're yeah. right. Yeah. You're right. This you know, is... yes, if you come across an attractive women, yeah. maybe it's not exactly what you're what's the reality is not what you're seeing. Yeah. The only attractive women are the ones that work on the ship. Uh any, any <laughs> outsiders, forget about it. Just forget about it, okay? <laughs> great observation. Yeah. I love it. Okay. All right. So let's so from there, oh, and I also we also learned that um that the ship is now running on battery power, and what they need is six crystals, six right. magic crystals to get things going. All right. Yes. All right. Yes. So, uh, back to Mud, and now he has a communicator, and is talking to the miners over on Rigel Twelve. Oh, how hey, interesting! You planet right. Yeah. I, 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 well done. I'm paying attention. Well, a little bit here. You sure are. Yeah. yeah. All right. 
So Kirk then asked to have the miners beamed up, and <laughs> we go back, and here is where we start to learn the sad, sad truth. The girls are losing their beauty, and Mud is looking for pills, and the girls are freaking out about it. I'm going back to what I was. Ugly. I'm looking horrible. Look what's happening to me. I'm turning ugly again. (laughs) (laughs) Mud is just like, he's like going through all these drawers and uh, throwing his underwear around trying to find the pills. And the one that is least affected, did you notice which one that is? That is least affected? Is it Eve? No. Okay. No, it's the other blonde. Oh, Magda. 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 So um, I'm checking my notes here. So, yes, Magda was played by Susan Denberg. Why is that name interesting? Mm. Um, okay. So she was actually Playboy Playmate of the Month for August 1966. Oh, no kidding. How timely. That's, that's right. And we will be posting the cover of that magazine in our Facebook group. Is that right? And, Oh, yes. I was huh. able to uncover it. Wow. It will be there. Well, now yes. I got a reason to go there. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. And um, she was in um, a movie that came out later in the 60s. Was it uh, Frankenstein? What was it? You would know this better than me because you're Radio Dan. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, let me do the quick uh, you know, <laughs> double on. check here. Yes, Frankenstein. Is Frankenstein it? created woman. I'm sorry. It's called Frankenstein. No, no, this. Is, yes, it's yes. called. It's directed by Terrence Fisher. It's called Frankenstein. Peter Cushing Creed. It. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Maybe it's is it a Hammer film? Perhaps. Maybe it's a Hammer horror movie. I don't know. Peter Cushing is. In I'm it. not sure. I thought you would know it. If you don't know it, then I guess it really has no. I'm not a big no old. I'm not a big school. I, I don't have a lot of old uh, horror knowledge to to toss out there. Sorry. Okay. Well, that's her. That's her other. You know, big claim to fame. So after that, she kind of disappears. But it is interesting to me that if you, as you continue to watch this show, that she's the one that even though they're all, you know, struggling, they're losing their beauty and whatever, everybody else is looking older, she kind of just, her hair's a little messy. That's, that's it. it. Her hair is messy. You're right. And there's nothing else that's going on with her. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. right. She doesn't look that different. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, Eve is reluctant. She does not want to take the pills. She seems yeah. to be tired of that's everything that Eve. Yeah, the the conscience is coming in, but yeah. she ends up doing it anyway. All right, and 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 Mud says to her, "Listen, I, you know, you you know, you want to stay true to yourself, but you know, you're thinking that you just want to be with a captain, but I'm telling you that captains only have one thing in mind in terms of a in terms of a female, and that's the ship. That's true. You're right. She does. <laughs> like, is it already is it some sort of established somewhere that she had a thing for Kirk? Well, she tried to hit on him." In in that scene, but then she kind of right. drops that like it was an act. Um, that is also true, but maybe I, I feel like she's just a very complicated person. She was going through the act, but she also still liked him. And she's here. Clearly, they've been trying for three years. I think they say to get husbands, and so she wants to marry somebody. And hey. Uh, Starfleet, uh, Starship's captain That's is about as, as good as it gets, <laughs> right? So she's sort of close, but she doesn't want to do it on a lie. Okay, okay. Right? So I think she would still want to. That all but that all sounds want... 
playing the game. That all sounds very good. That's good. That's a good explanation. Okay. All right. Okay. Kudos to you. All right, so then the miners come aboard the ship, and apparently yeah. miners in the 23rd century dress like miners would do in the 20th century. That's, uh, no kidding, huh? Yeah. Not a lot of progress in, uh, in minor wait, wear. Wait, wait. We did skip over something here. So what happens when he finds what he's looking for? Oh, he, it's oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, there it's these pills. It's pills that right. that uh, restore their beauty or or make them look beautiful. Or we don't have an actual definition at this point in the episode as to what these pills do, but it's some kind of pills. Right. And right. Okay. the other two quickly take them. Eve is reluctant to do it. Uh, in fact, right. I don't think we see her do it in this scene, but we'll find out that she did. Uh, so see her holding the pill. Yeah, she's holding it, and you know, oh, I don't want to do this. Uh, the miners come aboard the ship, and shocking to Kirk, <laughs> the miners they have their own list of demands. Kirk is like, yeah. like, like, hey, listen, we're ready to pay you whatever it is that you need. You know, we're we're willing to give you a nice fair price for these crystals. I don't think so. I think we want to swap, and we want to swap crystals for women. You want lithium crystals, and we've got them. Fine, I'm authorized to pay an equitable price. We're not sure they're for sale, Captain. We might prefer a swap. What did you have in mind? Mud's women. What? We want the women, and oh, by the way, throw mud in as well. Can you give us that? Yeah. And he's like, how do you even know mud? (laughs) I know. Where is it? How do you? Yes, you're right. You're right. What a shock that must have been to Kirk. And what I love is Kirk is immediate to no deal. That is not happening. And yeah. seconds later, and he's not in a position to to be so you know adamant. Right? He's, he's not. got a ship that's running out of power. This is true. But all right, here, here's what I'm gonna here's what I'm gonna ask you about this man. Oh, okay. All right. So here, this is this is our latest dilemma: is that the miners uh-huh. are on Mud's side, and they're not going to give him the crystals unless he lets the the women and the and Mud stay on the planet, stay on a planet crystal, right? Uh, in this scene, Mud is gloating. He's got this gloaty look on his face, and Kirk has this worried look on his face. And I'm thinking, you know, why don't you let your phasers do the talking at this point? They've got. He's got a a starship full of dudes. He's got places that he could uh, take these miners and keep them somewhere. And yeah, the ship will fail, but you're in here, so it's going to be your problem too. Or we'll just go down there and use our phasers, and we'll steal the crystals from you. And it's going to be a justified thing to do because we've got a bunch of people who will die on our starship if we don't do it. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. So I, if yeah. I understand your question correctly, yeah. you know Ben Childress, who's the guy that does all the talking for the miners, says, "Listen, if you beam a, a landing party down, you won't find one blessed crystal." Yeah, I'm so. Uh-huh. It's I'm, you know you can have your phasers, you can overpower the miners, but we know where the crystals are. We're not going to tell you, and that's a very unforgiving planet in terms of climate and weather, as we know. So it's going to be pretty impossible for you to get what you want without our cooperation. That's his leverage. You beam a landing party down and you won't find one blessed crystal. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm feeling there's some torture tactics that could be used. I'm sure some... <laughs> I'm sure, I, they obviously haven't come, to, they haven't come up with the mind melt yet, but the... <laughs> 
something. That's true, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a great point. That would solve a lot of issues. <laughs> it certainly would, wouldn't it? Yeah. It really would. But yeah. I, yeah, they're not into, you know, uh, Chinese water torture or whatever it is that they might do. <laughs> Um, you know, and that's just not Kirk's way as we're, as you're coming to learn mm-hmm. as the rookie in all of this is that he's Mr. Big Time Humanitarian. He wants to treat people like people. He wants to, you know, talk with, uh, speak with honor. Um, you know, here's my handshake. It means a whole lot and treat you well. You know, he doesn't want to play games with you. He wants to say, this is my position. This is your position. This is where we are. And this is how I feel about it. This is what I'm going to do. You know, he's very direct. Um, but he also doesn't want to ultimately hurt people just to get what he wants. At least I don't think so. Well, I, I guess, but I mean, he's put in a real tight position here. I mean, this is not, yeah. let's just go ahead and be strong arm because we can do it. It's just to save lives. But I see what you're saying. All right. But so I, I feel like he's also thinking that he has power. He's like, he starts laughing at the, at the minor's demands. Well, we're going to get the women. Yes, he does. As long as we like the women, we're going to keep the women. And then after that, you also have to give up mud. Not that mud has to be on the planet, but you have to drop all the charges against mud. Mm-hmm. And Kirk's like, ha, ha, ha. No, like that's going to happen. Yeah, Whatever. He does laugh it off initially. He does right. laugh it off. He's like, he, and you don't do that laughing unless you you think you've got the uh, the full house yeah, or right. the royal flush yeah, that's right. or whatever the uh, proper terminology for poker is, which I don't know how to play. Huh. Um, but that's how he feels like, you don't have any power. You're like three dirty miners. You know, yeah. you live in caves. You know, <laughs> you're not going to come up here and dictate to me. It's pretty interesting. But then Hildreth says back to him, hey, I know, we, know where the, we know where the crystals are. You can't get them without our help. And if you, if you come down, you'll never find them. And that kind of, I feel like that is what changes the dynamic of who's in charge here of this negotiation. I guess. Whether you like it or not, I feel like that's what that's what what the story's trying to tell us. Yeah. All right, so let's go down to Rigel 12, which is... Yeah, uh, you got it again. What? That's twice. You got it again, oh, Rigel 12. Yeah, I'm on top of things, man. Uh, yeah, Rigel 12, by the way, is uh, another matte painting planet with large rocks. What a shock. <sighs> this is just these... We'll talk about that in the future. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly a matte painting, but I know you're big onto that, but it's close, but it's not exactly. It's actually, uh-huh. there's some pretty cool futuristic stuff that they did to make what they did, uh, but that's fine. All right. All right. Uh, it's just, it looks similar to other planets that I have seen. How is that? I, I'll give you that. Ah, all right. Although this one does have some sort of cool looking building with interesting uh, architecture on the top. Like there's some sort of twirling antenna or something that's going on there that, that looked One kind thing of interesting. we missed here, Danny, is the fact that Mud interjects in this negotiation to, to make sure the miners know that the starship is running out of power fast. Mm-hmm. Which also tilts the negotiating power towards the miners. Yeah, and, you know, and, and while they're doing this little negotiation, Mud shows up just like he can walk around willy nilly again. I know, yeah. I know. He just no he just shows up to like kind of like rub it in Kirk's face. Yeah, that's right. Ha 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 ha. It's kind yes. of hilarious. <laughs> yes, it is kind of hilarious. This actor is so amazing. He's the guy that makes the episode. <laughs> oh yeah, he and, does. He really does. Oh, there's no question about yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, there's yeah. no question about it. Yes, and it's hilarious. It's great, and it keeps the thing moving. And, all right, so on Rigel 12, we get down and we, we visit the miners in their little place. And apparently there's, Kirk goes inside and there's a cocktail party going on. There's, <laughs> there's some sort of like swinging 60s party going on with the ladies Uh-oh. and the miners. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I'm sure it's a long time for those miners, you know? It's got to be. Right. All right, so Eve is not into the party, though. She's staring out the window, and Childress is trying to talk to her, and she starts coughing, and it's just not going so well. Meanwhile, two of the other guys start fighting over one of the other ladies. And Eve gets upset, and she runs out into a big old Rigel 12 storm that's raging out there, and now it's snowing. And Kirk decides he's going to go after her first, and uh, eventually Childress goes out after her as well. But Kirk can't find her. It's snowing, it's really cold, and she's out there in just little... uh, Little flip flop type shoes, so I wonder if she's starting to question that decision. I don't think it's actually snowing. I think it's just sand. Oh, is, is it? Oh, you're right. It's got to be sand. You're right because they have the it's the sand. conversation yeah. about sand later on. You're right. It probably is. Right, right, yeah. right. It's just incredible wind and sand and gravel and yeah. stuff like that, and the the effects sort of make it look like snow. It did. That's what it was. It looked like yeah, snow. I'll me. give you that. Yeah. yeah. Yep, 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 yep. So Kirk decides, all right, let's go back to the ship, and we can find, maybe we could locate ship, uh, Eve using a, all of our wonderful technology on our big giant spaceship. That sounds like, sure. it sounds like a good plan to me, uh, but they can't find her. And here's a nice little moment in which Kirk gets snippy with Scotty. Uh, who, oh, yeah. Who, Scotty tosses out a comment about not getting the crystals. About the you know yep. the fact that you know that we're in this position, and Kirk tosses out a nice little retort to him, like, "Yeah, that's right, that's right, it's my fault." You got a problem with that, Captain? This is draining our batteries further. If we only had those crystals, but we don't. I didn't get any. I should have found a way. Satisfied, Mister Scott. And as I totally love that, I totally love that. I kind of don't like the fact that he apologizes for it uh, a moment later. I wish he would just let yeah. it stand. Like, yeah, that's right. I'm. I put us in this position because I thought I was doing the right thing. By the way, I'm the captain of the ship. I should have found a way. Satisfied, Mister Scott. <laughs> By the way, it's very, mm-hmm. it's very human, right? Like. This is one of the things that makes one of the things that I like about this show is that there are these moments where, like, there's actual acting, where people are actually feeling things, where I think a lot of the um, – a lot of science fiction to this point and even beyond, deep into the 70s and arguably the 80s, a lot of science fiction was very wooden acting, you know, that it was just more about saying the lines and, you know, getting the plot through without the humanity coming into play. Mm-hmm. and. With this actor in particular, <laughs> with this actor in particular, William Shatner, you get this humanity over and over again. Um, and it's cool because it's more and more evidence that um, people really respect him. People follow him. People appreciate him. People fear him a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And it kind of makes him like that ultimate, you know, action hero, I'm not sure if action hero is the right word, but certainly a hero, right? Yeah, absolutely. That we, we we all would want to aspire to be, I think. Oh, yes, I want to be Kirk when I grow up, that's for sure. <laughs> There's no doubt about it, man. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> I, can tell, I can tell you that after six episodes, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> not uh, movie Kirk, though. No, not movie Kirk, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
That's such a shame. Yeah, I'll tell yes. you. The other day, it was uh-huh. the the seventh, I believe. Yeah, December seventh is the anniversary of Star Trek: The Motion Picture that in, that okay. came out in nineteen seventy nine. So, seeing that, I, I would say, well, let me go look at that trailer. Okay. Man alive! Holy cow! Um, yeah, because I, I that movie's not particularly good. As I recall, and then as I was watching that trail, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is not uh, this is not good." Like, it, so much '70s comes across in the outfits that they're wearing. It's just there's just so much not good that's going on there, you know. And that's the start of Movie Kirk right there, with the the hair's not as good. Hair's a little, oh yeah, yeah, it's dramatically different. It is. So I'm like, how it did is. he get curls? What? I don't even get it. Yeah, where did, exactly? Where did these curls come from? Get this Everybody sh- else just looks a little, little bit older, which mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, but so- but he just looks different. Yes, someone let the straightener out of the hair is what happened. I guess <laughs> I don't know. Don't know. Well, <laughs> I don't really get it um, because I, it's interesting that you say that. But you know, we've we've talked about this even before we started the podcast that William Shatner had straight hair in the Twilight Zone. Yes, he did. His hair here is very similar to what we've seen in black and white. Yes, that's correct. So, like, how does he come up with crazy curls? Yeah. I don't know. It's I, like I he got a perm. It. I don't know. I don't know. Huh? I don't know either. Huh? It's weird. Huh? <laughs> anyway. All right, so let's get back to here. This is also in this scene was where we learned that we have five hours of battery life let. Of le- I'm Here's sorry. your clock. Oh, yes. The clock is set at five hours, please. Someone set the clock. Let it go. Meanwhile, back on the planet... Childress comes across Eve. He finds her. He she's unconscious. He picks her up. He takes her home, or whatever it is, whatever home he has down there. Uh, from there, we go to five hours to the quick scene with Childress taking Eve home, and now it's forty three minutes. Oh yeah, yeah. But even though it's gotta move fast, yeah, we got to move fast. Fortunately, uh, at minute forty three, they think that they have located Eve, and so now. Mud and Kirk beam back down. They're going to go and find him. So back over to Childress, where he wakes up, and Eve is cooking, and right. Childress starts acting like like a real baby. He starts acting yep. like a real jerk. He's unhappy with her. He's unhappy with everything. He doesn't like that she's cooking. Uh, he has some dumb comment of, oh, I'm supposed to you know, eat your female cooking, and I guess I'm supposed to really right. like it and roll my eyes. I guess I'm supposed to sit, taste, and roll my eyes. Ooh, female cooking again. And then that's exactly what happens. It's like, oh, God, what a what a jackass. Yes, that's, yes. Yeah. Eve goes ahead and advises him that you know what your pots would act, your pans would actually be clean if you hung them out and <laughs> let the sand <laughs> hit them you know right. the wind blast them it would blast yes. them clean and then there's a, a quick that he's doing it yeah he's hanging them up <laughs> I don't, and it made me like how long this what's the time period that's going on in this scene seems like the, it seems as though they've been living together for a week and he's unhappy with her but it's yeah, only been but a couple it's of hours. Yeah, one night, I think, yeah. right? Or less than. Oh, it's less but, than. It's got to right. be less than because we see where he finds him. And, yeah. and, and, and the way she, she looks like, you know, she just spent the night with him because yes. she's wearing... Like his shirt or something. Clothes, I think so. Yeah. And her hair's different. Yes. And, you know, right? Yeah, absolutely right. And but, 
did say, listen, you know, I guess, I guess this bacon's okay. I've tasted better by my own hand. Yeah. She, He's going to throw like, that in. Well, yeah, that's because it is, because you don't clean this thing out. <laughs> and a- that's how they come up with the whole, she comes up with the idea of, you know, hanging up the pots to, you know, let the sand blast them. Yeah. Now, Eve is starting to, to get worse looking as uh, her drugs are, are wearing off. Childress is mm-hmm. upset. And fortunately, before we get more of this domestic issue, Kirk and Mud show up. And Kirk forces Mud to, to l- spill the beans. What is it? What is it that, that causes her to look pretty and now look not so pretty? <laughs> Venus drugs. That's what. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> I love that it's got a great name like Venus drugs. Venus, if you will. That's fantastic. It's <laughs> Venus drugs. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, Greek mythology is also going to be coming up in the future episodes of Star Trek. That's a Gene Roddenberry kind of thing. Yeah. I, and I also do like that uh, at this point, Childress asks, because <laughs> Eve is not looking so great at this moment. And I know. He, he says, uh, do the others, do they look like she does too? Yeah. yeah, like this this awful, disgusting thing I'm looking at now. Yes. Which, by the way, like, I, I mean, granted, she's not looking great, but it's not like she's turned into a monster or something. You know, no, she just it's not like what we saw in the cage. Yeah, not no, even close. Yeah, no, and nothing like that. Like we've seen so much worse. Right, or the salt monster, or the salt monster. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we've not, seen so much worse. Yeah, we should show Ben Childress <laughs> what what the salt monster looks like. <laughs> right. Yeah. This could be your woman, huh? Maybe now, <laughs> now you're okay with this one with Eve over here. That's right. She looks like to me just like someone who woke up uh, the next day without makeup on. That's it. Yeah, like she had, like she, like maybe she had too many drinks the night before, and now she's got a hangover. Not That's even, it. not even. But yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so now, but he's upset because he feels like he's been defrauded. Yes, he's been swindled by that damn mud. Yes. So, Eve is getting upset hearing this, and. Mud is there with the Venus drug to show him, oh, this is what it actually is. And Eve starts ranting, and then she takes the drug. And once again, moments later, I'm really like a, a second later, all of a sudden she's back to looking all all dreamified. Her hair and, is done perfectly. Yeah. She's wearing an evening gown. Her eyelashes are longer. She's got lip gloss on. Yes. That drug's Daddy. That drug is amazing. I know it does her hair and her makeup and everything. I, it's ridiculous. This drug has just been described by Mud as saying that basically it gives you more of the good stuff you've got. Yes. I'm like, well, where did the freaking uh, you know evening gown come from? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Yeah, exactly. Where's the eyeshadow? Is is that in there? I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. How does that lip gloss get in there? How do those eyelashes get so long? <laughs> It's just, it's ridiculous. It doesn't just give you, like, it doesn't take your wrinkles away, no. you know. It doesn't give you a little bit more color. It, it's it's a bewitched kind of moment, right? <laughs> it's the makeover drug, yeah. It, yes, it's the makeover drug. That's yes, right. Yes. That's, mu- that's so much better. You're oh, right. All right, so right. If, if that's not ridiculous enough, yeah, we're going to find out something Way more ridiculous because this is going to be one of the dumbest moments in the well, one of mm-hmm. the dumbest moments in the history of the show. Okay, the explanation that you're about to talk about. Okay, yeah, this when, is terrible. When Kirk reveals that 
It wasn't a drug that she took. Nope, it was just some gelatin. That's right. Because here's here's apparently the, this one this episode has a moral to it, and Kirk tells oh, us yeah. you either believe in yourself or you don't. She took no drug. I swallowed it. Colored gelatin. Yes, they took away my drug and substituted that. That can't be. There's only one kind of woman. Or man, for that matter. You either believe in yourself or you don't. What? Yes. What just happened? What just and, and, happened and, here? And Harry Mudd's in on it, too. He's like, <laughs> yes. one kind of woman. And Mudd's like, or one kind of man. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah, Get out of uh, here. Uh, it is. It is. That moment is awful. Uh, children stand. <laughs> apparently, episode. everything is now everything. Everybody's friends. Everybody's fine. Uh, hopefully, yeah. this didn't take longer than forty-three minutes. Uh, children now agrees to give the crystals. He now wants Eve to stay because he realizes that he's into ugly broads or whatever his problem is. I don't know. Well, wait a minute. Yeah. He's into her because apparently she doesn't need oh, the drug. <laughs> So, so it's still superficial, right? Isn't he right? He's like, oh, you know what? Maybe we, I should stay with her. Oh, you know, she doesn't need the drugs. I and guess. my other two loser friends, there are those girls. Probably need them. Yeah, but my girl's gonna stay hot as long as she <laughs> believes in herself. She'll always have the great, the latest and greatest evening gown, right? <laughs> That's true. As fashions change, she'll keep up with them because she believes oh, in herself. That's right. Just believes in it. Man, I'm gonna start believing my believing in myself, and then just start looking in my closet to see what happens. So, <laughs> Kirk and Mud then uh, they beam back to the ship, but before they do, they have this yes. goofy exchange about you know. Kirk says that like, yeah, if you want, I'll uh, I'll testify yeah. as a character witness. Although it's I don't corny. know if you want that. Like, it's so corny. <laughs> it's, I actually liked it. Yeah. He's like, if you think it'll help. And Mud's like, well, they'll throw away the key. <laughs> but I will appear as a character witness at your trial. If you think that'll help, they'll throw away the key. I do like that. All right, I don't dislike it. I appreciate the cordiness, so it's fine. It's it's not a knock. But it is to me, this super is like corny. an example of when Star Trek is really good, where they can interject some some humor at the right time. You know, in the middle of this serious stuff with the moral play that they're trying to do. Yes. I like it. Yeah. I, this this is something that kind of separates the show for me from from other shows. And it, here was our our last moment of the episode where Kirk yep. is back on the ship. This uh, this has happened a number of times where we're this is where we end. We end on the bridge and we're kind of on to our next adventure. Uh, this is a great moment from Spock at the end where he says that he's glad this episode is over. He's like, the I'm... most annoying emotional episode. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> that is that is stellar right there. That's legitimately and what does brilliant. McCoy, do? McCoy then brings out his his anti Vulkite moment. He goes yeah, anti Vulkite. <laughs> yeah. Points out that uh, something ridiculous about Spock's anatomy is hard as in some other area. He points to his and side. Spock has a great line. Yeah, I, with that, he's so happy to have a. Go ahead. What is the line? I don't even have it exact, so I don't know. <laughs> says, the fact that my internal arrangement dis- differs from yours, Doctor, pleases me to no end. Okay, oh. there we go. Oh, that's such a great line. Burn. <laughs> I'm happy the affair is over. 
A most annoying emotional episode. Smack right in the old eye. Oh, I'm sorry. In your case, it would be about here. The fact that my internal arrangement differs from yours, Doctor, pleases me no end. And now we're now we're ready for our next adventure. And there you go. That is that is the end of Mud's Women, which I, and then this for no other reason doesn't make matter at all. But in my head, this episode was named Mud's Daughters. So a number of times I would think Mud's Daughters. When I first was typing my notes, I typed Mud's Daughters on it. I do, I have no idea why. I don't know why that just kept happening. Really? Yes. That's so weird. Yes. Yes, straight weird doesn't mean anything. All right. Overall with the episode, I like this one. This one's kind of a fun episode and funny. It it does have the worst, probably the worst moment I've seen in Star Trek, which is that moral moment. But it didn't really detract too much from the episode. I was fine with it. It it didn't, it wasn't any kind of a deal breaker where I would say, okay, well, that ending ruins everything. That's that's fine. Uh, Mud was funny. And yes. a fun character and ridiculous looking. And yes. it did have some of the things that I'm, I've, I'm coming to appreciate in Star Trek, which is um, goofy technology. Uh, there is uh, a running clock, <laughs> which I don't know. I yes. guess I've been, there is women that aren't exactly as attractive as they seemed. Right. And there is the, the now standard McCoy anti-Vulkite reference. So, all right. These are the things I'm getting used right. to. I'm enjoying it. What do you got? What do you, yeah. How do you feel about this one? How high does this rank for you? And is there some sort of overall stature that this episode has? Because I know some are very high in stature and some are just regular. I think that this is pretty high. Yeah. I don't think it's among the highest. I don't think it's a top ten episode, but mm-hmm. I think it is pretty high. Okay. Um, I think what sets this episode apart is just the acting of, of Roger C. Carmel. You know who plays the part of Harry Mudd? He's so phenomenal in this, and I think without him, I don't know that I don't. I don't think it's going to become even close to what it is. He's just so interesting. He's one of those guys that's like, uh, you know, forgive me, Star Trek fans, for bringing up like the worst show to compare it to, Lost in Space, but um, the Doctor Smith. Okay, right? sure. Right? Yes. Okay. So Dr. Smith is a bad guy, but he's kind of a good guy, and he's comedic at the same time, right? Uh, yes, he's all of those things. Yes, that's correct. Right, and if, and you actually, you know, that show is a very stupid show. It's yes. very, you know, Twinkies to Star Trek being, uh, you know, uh, steak. But if you take uh, D- uh, Dr. Smith out of uh, Lost in Space, Ugh. there's nothing to watch. No, there's, there's nothing, nothing to watch. watch. No, he's the whole show, right. just pretty much. Yes, he right. is. Right, right, yes. right. He brings in, he injects all of the personality, mm-hmm. right? And it's stupid and it's annoying. Yes. Sometimes it's interesting. Well, it's always interesting. Sometimes it's funny. Uh, it, I could also compare it to some reality TV shows where, like, you need that bad guy who's sort of interesting, you know, not just a bad guy, but, the, you know, a guy who's got some depth. And Harry Mudd has that because of this particular actor. I don't think anybody could just come in and play that role and be so effective at it because he's got that he's got this charm right doesn't he have the kind of quote unquote it factor don't you think Roger Carmel I would say that he seems like somebody who's perfect for that kind of a role like, like he's really to yeah. me feels yeah. like almost like 
you know, Fonzie in the early episodes of Happy Days where he just steals scenes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I, sure. you know he's sure. so he's iconic, and he is. I'll, I'll say this about the show because you asked me where this ranks yeah. among other shows. The reason this certainly this character is right there at the top in Star Trek lore. There's okay. no question about. It. I'm not sure. Who, I'm not sure if anyone's above him or not. We'll have to, you know, we can discuss that as we go, you know, in you know, in future months and um, you know, podcasts to talk about this. But Roger Carmel is just unbelievable in this. And the reason I was looking forward to watching this again and talking about it with you sure. is because I remembered how great he was in this. He's just a freaking natural, right? It doesn't look like he's trying to act. He's just, I don't know, it just rolls off of him. It's sort of a complicated role to be all of these different things, to be the bad guy, but to have, uh, you know, kind of a, kind of like a, a, you know, a, a nice thing in his heart a little bit. He cares about the women on some level, you know. He's trying to like make deals that work for everybody. He also has those awful moments where he says, "Well, I'll be the captain of this ship," which makes no sense at all. <laughs> no, no, it made, yes, that little that little thought is. <laughs> ridiculous it's that's stupid. right it is it is a little it's, it's straight up but at the same dumb, time you sure. can sort of you 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 sort of humor him like maybe he really did think that maybe that's not such a stupid thing that they mm. wrote into this show on accident and shouldn't have taken it out maybe he really does think that way because we 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 know people in our advanced ages these days where we see people that are sort of eccentric you know <laughs> about their effectiveness in the world and i think that it makes sense that he thinks these things about himself. Um, listen, we could pan this episode all day long about the stupid things, but you know, I, I just come away with I'm just so entertained by mm -hmm. the episode because of him, and um, mm -hmm. I just can't get past that. I, I like the interplay at the end. That's important. That's great, if you will. Spock's lines at the end are phenomenal. They're great. It's the Spock versus McCoy thing that makes it all happen. You got Kirk in the middle, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And Absolutely. so they realize the you know the producers of the of Star Trek they realize wow these guys are developing this chemistry, right? You've got Spock on one side who's representing the computer mind. You've got McCoy on the other side who is representing all humanness and hates the computer mind. And on some level, you think Spock probably doesn't like McCoy, and then you got Kirk in the middle, who's you know you know the the arbitrator, uh, the the moderator of it to keep everybody happy. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody respects everybody, but the the way the lines that they use, it's the lines, it's the writing. And I, I'm going to try to hit this point with you over and over again, because mm -hmm. I convince you to become a fan of the show. Yeah, that the lines. You could you could bring these people in there and they could have great chemistry, but it's the words that they're saying, how they're saying them. The writing is phenomenal, and uh, these things make the show really great to me. There is definitely some very solid writing that that is going on, uh, and and definitely some of these lines are really good. As far as as your man Mud, the likable jerk is is what yeah. I would categorize him as. Because that's that's a, a tough thing to play, you know. That is a, a tough tightrope to walk. I think being a likable jerk because it it goes one way or the other. Either you're a little bit too likable for me to, to even take it remotely seriously, or you're too much of a jerk, and I can't. I, I I need to get you off my screen. But he does fit that balance very well. 
Uh, Let uh, me pitch this to you. Do right. you think, because I, I do, but you're way more knowledgeable about this stuff than I am. Do you think that this is light years ahead of acting that particular role at that time in history, in TV history, oh in movie God. history? How many times do you see a role like that that is played that's so complicated? I mean, we see Han Solo do it later in Star Wars, right? Wouldn't you say Han Solo is almost identical to Harry Mudd? Uh, I, I, well, differently. well it, it, differently. He's he's humorous, but he's not as like Harry Mudd is closer to to a, a cartoon, and Han Solo yep. I, I never look at as a, as a cartoon character. You know, oh, Han no, Solo no, is always of uh, a, he's always a a regular human being to me. But they're both solo guys that are like, mm-hmm. you know, they have their own ship and they're, they're trying to get away from the authorities the entire time. <laughs> okay. Right. You know, he, you know, Harry Mudd, you know, his cargo is women and, you know, Han Solo's cargo is, it's, mm-hmm. he's smuggling something. I don't he, know what Well, he is. is a smuggler. That's true. So they're both smugglers. Right. I, I mean, right. okay. Right. I, all right. Right. And they're both colorful characters. Yeah, okay. Uh, I don't know that I'm buying that comparison too greatly, I'm though. saying that yeah. it's really hard for me to think of any other characters like the one that, that Roger Carmel plays up to that point, up, you know, in 1966 when, you know, when, when this show was produced. Uh, does that not seem – am I pushing too hard on that? Uh, you, I, just, I would I have I to really think about it. Uh, I I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, you you may be pushing a little too hard. I'm not sure. I w- okay. if you want, I will think about it and have an answer for you in our next show. How's that? That's good. I've got a few things for you mm-hmm. about this episode that it, that would be interesting to know. I think here. All right, go ahead, lay it on me, and then I'll give you. So, my, Lieutenant my Uhura. Yes. Apparently, there was a there was a scene that they shot that was that consisted of a lengthy monologue where Mud actually tried to convince Uhura into taking the Venus drug. Oh, why did we not get that scene? No. Well, here's why. Apparently, it was cut because it was too long and wordy. Ah, come on. TV, you're so lame sometimes, for goodness sake. Now, now, but that's interesting, though. Like, why would... Why would... If that's the reason why you cut it, it really doesn't explain... The real, the real, you know, question that we should have, which is, why would Uhura need to take it? <laughs> well, I'll, right? I'll, I'll, well, listen, I'll tell you why Uhura would need to take it because yeah. the women, now the women that, that he's got to take it, right? They have an un, an unnatural effect on men, so that would be okay. That would be the okay. that would That's be the hook. I, I like that. Yeah. Yes. Well, apparently so. The actor that played Mud, Roger Carmel, was very disappointed because he really thought it helped the storyline. Mm-hmm. He still loved the episode overall, but this was a big, long monologue between the two of them. And uh, I, I guess you know, in you know, in today's world, if you shoot a scene like that and you cut it, you're going to get that deleted scene. And uh, I don't know that that scene's around, but wouldn't it be great to see it now? Yes, that would be great. I if if you had a link to it, I would I would put it on right now. As a matter of fact, I don't I don't think it's linkable. Yeah. I don't think I don't think anybody has it. Okay, doesn't seem like it. Um, a little bit more about the women that 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 we saw. Yeah. So I told you about um, Magda. So uh, played by Susan Denberg, Playmate of the Month for August uh, 1966, and we will, like I said earlier, we will post that in the uh, Facebook group for our podcast. 
Um, Ruth Bonaventure. She is the which you know which one she is. Uh, do I know which one Magda is? Oh no, you mean Ruth? No, no, Ruth. Yeah, Ruth. I know which one she is. She's the dark hair lady. Right, right, right. So that's played by a woman named Maggie Threat. She is a singer actress who wound up uh, leaving the business after a motorcycle accident in 1970. Mm. And she didn't leave just because of that. She was tired of being hit on relentlessly throughout her acting and singing career. Ah, well, maybe she should have taken less of the Venus drug and that wouldn't have happened. Maybe you're right. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're right. That's right. And um, I'm not sure. Are you familiar with the movie Marty? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Best picture, 1955, Marty. Okay, well, Karen mm-hmm. Steele, who plays the role of Eve McCurran, the one who had the most lines of the three women, mm-hmm. and kind of spoke the mind, uh, the conscience of the three of them, I guess, in a way. Yeah. She was in That's her biggest claim to fame outside of Star Trek. So Marty comes out in the 50s, right? Yep, 55. And does it, uh, does it win an Oscar? I just, or? Are you not listening? I just said, Best Picture, oh. 1955. Well, there you go. Well, she's she's there. So. <laughs> do you, all right. Do you remember? The, do you, did you remember the the movie Quiz Show? Yeah. Okay. So this is why Marty. I I immediately know that it's Best Picture nineteen fifty five is because of the movie Quiz Show because that's the movie that they make John Turturro get wrong to uh, to lose. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, and he's adamant about don't make me get that wrong. Don't make me don't make me get Marty <laughs> wrong. They make him say guess on the waterfront instead. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. I don't think I've actually seen that. I always wanted to, but I don't think I ever got around to it. Wait, you haven't seen Quiz Show? But I don't think so. Oh my god. Yeah, put that on your list. I know. Put I that know. on your list of things to do. Yeah. 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 Well, anyway, did, but did you actually see Marty? Uh, yes, I have seen Marty since then. But like, I always think of it um, from Quiz Show more than having actually seen it. Yeah, it's with Ernest Borgnine. Right, right, right. It's also with Jerry Paris. No kidding. The <laughs> the director of every episode of Happy Days. That Jerry Paris. I believe. I guess so. Holy crap! So. He plays the role of Tommy. Oh wow! I did not know that was true. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, that is crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's Jerry Paris, and uh, Karen Steele plays the role of Virginia. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I don't, don't know. I don't remember. I didn't see it. So I can't tell you. Yeah, it's been a while. But she's one, two, three, fourth in the billing. Okay. Whatever that means. I mean, she's still, I mean, Ernest Bergdine, according to this, is fit, sixth, so I don't know what that means. Oh, then, yeah, then that's incorrect because he's Marty, so. <laughs> that's right. That's right. He is Marty. You're <laughs> so, right. You're so right. That's not exactly uh, maybe the most yeah. accurate uh, listing of, of everything. Probably not. All right. So not. Are, are you ready for my my point? The, the, assist, uh, the giving um, of points? I, or do you have anything else okay. you want to add? Okay, so uh, we talked about the Eve. We talked about Magda, the Playman of the Year, or Playman of the Month for August 1966. Ruth. Um, sure, I did have some stuff to talk about uh, the Naked Time that we we skipped over. Things that I learned recently, um, but we could save that for another time if you want. All right. I in fact I already have an idea for when we'll do that. So okay. Yeah. Yep. Here's what we're going to do yep. for this one. We were at 95 points coming into this one, okay? Yes. And I I did enjoy this episode. I thought it was very okay. good. So we're okay. going to assess 50 whole points 
Whoa, that's a big jump. That's a big jump. We're jumping up. We're now at 145. Wow. We are now at 145, and now all of a sudden, 100,000 doesn't seem so far away. Uh, yeah. I don't know about that. But okay. we are starting to hit the beginnings of Warp Drive, maybe. Yes, we're getting, be- we're getting better numbers, right? We're at least we're, we're finally getting into second gear. Uh, maybe. I think we're just getting out of the uh, impulse drive, <laughs> but I'm not sure. Oh, see, not sure. I don't even know that there's an impulse drive, warp drive, I don't know. Yes. Okay, very good. All right, warp so are, are we done here? I believe we're done. All right. I believe we're done. All right, everybody, I want to thank you all for listening to another edition of Attempting Trek. We will be back with our next episode where we will be going over. What are we going over next? Do you have the title of the next one, Joe? I do. It's called What Are Little Girls Made Of? Oh, that sounds intriguing. All right, so come back to us as we look over, as I will attempt to get through what little girls are made of. Joey, take us out of here. Fans, you've got the comm. (laughs) 